This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. So how's it going? I'm going to pull all my hair out and like run around naked. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, can you turn your camera off or like, I just feel like that that's, nope. oh, great, great. I'm captive audience right here. Great. You're along for the <laughs> ride now. <laughs> well. No, it's good. Like I have done, I did Pilates on Saturday. I did yoga yesterday. I did yoga today. So three days in a row. You are the picture of health. Yeah. I just ate a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios for dinner, and now I'm going to have a glass of red wine. Heart so healthy I'm night. I'm sure both of those things are heart healthy. There you go. <laughs> um, well, I have I drank a gallon of water yesterday and today. I'm gonna get, I'm on that Chris Pine diet, like not Chris Pine, Chris Pratt diet, um, where all he did was drink a whole lot of water, and then he got super hot, and then he got voted out of the Chris's like for obvious reasons. So I don't want that half of the like the hot situation. Yeah, just don't join a cult. I mean, I kind of am already part of one, but you and I are the leaders, so. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> um, well, I have fantastic news that really applies more to me, but you are now my hey. captive audience. It was okay. 37 degrees when I woke up this morning, and the people are coming to install, I like to hang our Christmas lights tomorrow. It was 30, it's going to be 37 degrees when I wake up tomorrow. I have this Christmas tree right here that you can see behind me. And then I have another one in my bedroom, which let me tell you is the most action my bedroom has seen all year <laughs> long, but it's pretty fucking spectacular. So. It is a beautiful tree. Thank you. I got it at Home Depot for $30. Wow. Hmm. Um, okay, so since we are a podcast that focuses primarily on Lifetime movies, I need to know which Hallmark Christmas movie has been your favorite since the last time we met. You know, I think it's the same. I think. Hold on. I have a whole app that keeps track of all this. <laughs> I have one list for Lifetime, or I have one list for Hallmark only and one list for Hallmark and Lifetime and Netflix and FTV. I haven't watched the Lifetime ones yet, um, but I'm excited oh, about a couple of them. Ones are so much better. Oh, 100%. Because, listen, my number one is Christmas with the Darlings. Um, Winston but agrees. My number, mm-hmm. Out of my top five, one, two, three of them are Lifetime movies. Okay. Good to know. Um, well... And I, out of my bottom five, all of them are Hallmark movies. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. I want to know what your bottom five are right now. Hit me with that. Okay. Would you like me to go? Okay, so I'll go from not as bad to bad. Okay. Yes. Um. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. So at number five, we have "Never Kiss a Man in a Christmas Sweater." Well, the title alone should tell you that's going to be bottom five. Let's be for real, and like that has our good friend Ashley Williams. I was saying, shout out to Ashley, her. who has been a complete joy in our lives. Shout she out, she has. But we love you. 
Um, and then number four, Christmas Tree Lane. It only moves up because <laughs> Andrew Walker's in it. Oh my God, Andrew Walker. I know. He's so attractive. Uh, number three, The Christmas Ring. I have not seen that one. It was on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. Oh, okay. Not last weekend, but the weekend before. Gotcha. Um, number two, and this one was tough. Oh, wait. No, I'm wrong. Okay. Never kiss a man. Because five is Chateau Christmas. Chateau Christmas. That's the one I was trying to talk about with my mom, that the only redeeming thing is the guy who plays cello. Luke McCharman. Yeah. Did you know, fun fact, Luke McCharman actually went to Juilliard and yeah. played the cello. Yeah, I know. That's why he was like, that's like the Christmas bow I finally watched. And she is the really only is, redemptive thing. She is incredible. She was oh Josh Groban's gosh. private, like she was Josh Groban's solo mm-hmm. violinist and she played with the trans Orchestra. She's phenomenal. So good. Okay. So number five, Chateau Christmas. Number four, Never Kiss a Man in a Christmas Sweater. Number three, Christmas Tree Lane. Number two, The Christmas Ring. And number one, which narrowly beat out the Christmas ring because of a certain plot point. And since you haven't watched this movie, I'm going to be really mad that I can't talk about how much I hated it. <laughs> Meet Me at Christmas from this last weekend. With, oh, yeah. Um, Mark Declan and Catherine Bell. And I love Catherine Bell. I do, too. It was not a good movie. Okay, I'll watch it so we can bitch about it. So bad. Okay. Okay, so um, since I've not been able to keep up with nearly as much um, screen time as you have, mostly because my life is filled with Mickey Mouse Clubhouse these days. Not that I'm complaining, because there is so much laughter, right? (laughs) Maybe I should bring my least five favorite Mickey Mouse Clubhouse (laughs) episodes (laughs) Listen, that shit played on repeat in my house for many years, uh-huh. so I probably know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> um, no, so before we get into this, um, I am so glad to be wrapping up the day talking to you because, Yay. as you know, I started my day getting hit by a 13-year-old like 7.52 in the morning. I was so mad because I'm not too early to get hit (laughs) (laughs) and called a fat ass. I mean, I get it. I am a and he was real angry B, but like, let's not bring that energy on a Monday. I mean, you work at a middle school, so they're going to go for whatever low hanging fruit they can. Right. Their minds have not matured enough to come up with like actual insults. They're like, right. Oh, you're a stupid head. Right. Um, The best part, though, was. All of my students in class who watched me have to deal with this fight were then like eyes huge. And one goes, Mr. Adams, was that your first fight? And I just laughed and laughed because I started my career in the inner city. I was like, my first fight was my third day ever as a teacher. (laughs) Like, like, oh, honey, no. Um, but I am so glad that I get to wrap it up, not fighting with you instead talking about a potentially shitty or potentially awesome movie. I don't know which way it went actually. Um, and before you tell us about it, this is lifetime sentence. And for the first time in months, I'm Paul. I'm Aaron (laughs) as usual. (laughs) (laughs) This 
week I watched God. The title of the movie. You watched God? Like, I did. You had an experience with this one, okay. I did have an experience. Um, I watched White Hot, colon, The Mysterious Murder of Thelma Todd. I'm so glad we get, I love when they throw in punctuation because that me tells too, me like what a ride we're on. Calendar, Calendar girl, girl, comma, comma cop, cop, comma killer. Comma killer? Question, <laughs> Question mark. mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie came out in 1991. Holy moly. So Lifetime wasn't even a network yet. I don't think so. Yeah, this was an acquisition for sure. Um, it's uh, it's an acquisition for sure because like it has actual like big name actors in it. Does it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, okay, so it stars... Lonnie Anderson. Of Londy Anderson fame. Lonnie, not Londy. <laughs> uh, she plays Thelma Todd. She was in WKRP in Cincinnati. Okay. The Love Boat. Oh. The Island. Um, all, she was a voice in All Dogs Go to Heaven, which is, you know. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Scott Pollan, he plays... Lewis Marsden. He was in Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox. Okay. Turner and Hooch. Okay. And Pump Up the Volume, which was like a 90s something. Yeah. Lois Smith. She plays Alice Todd. She played, like, the thing that I remember her from, she played Meg in Twister. Okay. The lady with the long gray hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, she was also in Minority Report and Lady Bird. Uh, <clears throat> I did Lawrence not see Pressman. Lady Bird, but I heard amazing things. It was good. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Pressman, he plays Roland West. He was in American Pie. Nine to five. Working nine to five. And Shaft. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. John O'Hurley. He plays Pat DeChico. He was in Seinfeld, The X-Files, and All My Children. Okay. Um, finally, we have Robert Davey, who, was in, who plays Lucky Luciano. He was in Die Hard, The Goonies. They really, like, this is some pre-lifetime shit. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Like, he's an actor. <laughs> You know at the SAG Award, like every other award show uh-huh. you know, is like whatever, but then at the SAG Awards they're like, I'm Jennifer Aniston and I'm an actor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um So we open with sinister music playing and a shot of the beach. And I just love these early lifetime movies. They're so good. They they just transcend. And I need whoever is in charge at Lifetime. To go watch like a shit ton of these movies and start making them like this again because they're so good. Right. This is the lifetime that we thought of whenever we picked our like intro music. Like we were channeling mm-hmm. that old, real dark yes. and kind of grimy, gritty. That's the word, mm-hmm. not grimy, gritty lifetime. Gritty. <laughs> grimy. Um, it's got we, a film on it. 
we zoom in on Thelma Todd's bar, a man voiceovers that he's only had two passions in his entire life. His career as an investigator with the DA's office at LA and a woman, a dead woman, a dead woman whose murder he was just called to investigate on December 16th, 1935. Okay, dude, it sounds like you did it when you talk like that. Like, I, I solved the case. Done. Um, it was framed to him as a, quote, routine Hollywood suicide. He says, quote, my name is Lewis Marsden. Her name was Thelma Todd. I imagine that this has got, like, that old sleuth movie music playing underneath it. We're going to get there. Yes. Get there. Like Dick Tracy style. Oh, we're, we're there. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. This is supposed to be like an old film noir. Okay. And That's I exactly am like what I'm super feeling. into it. I am super into it. Um, so Lewis goes to the police chief where he lays out the case and they pan over to the cast of characters. Now it's a film noir and a game of Clue, and I'm super into it. <laughs> yes. Hey, completely side note, but I need to say it right now in front of everybody, apparently. Your son is a gamer. Yes. Does he like kind of detective-y things like this? Because there's a wonderful game for Switch called L.A. Noir that is a video game that is a noir film. Like, it is so good oh, with a crazy rad. good and twist ending. And he's well, he's super into like kind of like role playing games, and he doesn't like games where you have to, like he's very um, morally sound in his gaming, and that he doesn't like games where you have to buy things in order to get to other levels. He thinks okay. you should just have. He to doesn't play like the microtransactions game. and things. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, I think he would enjoy this. So, with Christmas coming and up, you're he, welcome. He, he loves animation and shit, so... Oh, yeah, it's beautifully done. So if it's, like, got good, good graphics, he's going to be into it. Like, that's why he doesn't play Fortnite, though, is because you have to buy shit to be any good, like, in the game. Right. Anyways. Completely sidetracked. So sorry. Yeah. Oh, good. So... So, okay, so we're at the cast of characters. There's the chauffeur who drove her home Saturday night... There's the maid who found her body Monday morning. There's the guy she was maybe sleeping with and definitely shared a home with. And there's his ex-wife who owns a condo that overlooks the duplex that she lived in with this guy. Like she lived in one side, the guy lived in So this becomes really complicated because some reports, if I don't mention it in my notes because I don't remember, say that they lived on one side of the duplex and the ex-wife lived on the other. And other reports say that it overlooked their duplex. So there's no way to know. There is no way to know. Also, Um, I'm now changing this in Veronica Mars is narrating it in my head. Continue. Okay. Um... We cut to paramedics bringing the covered body out of the garage. Well, the mostly covered body because Thelma's arm with a quite impressive diamond bracelet still on it is sticking out of the. <laughs> of course it is. Um, they haven't even left a scene and the medical examiner calls out, calls her de- cause of death as carbon monoxide poisoning suicide. Perfect. 
They haven't even left the scene. <laughs> He's like, all right, wrapped it up. There, there's a bar literally downstairs. Let's go, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Drinks um, on me. As he's saying this, Thelma Todd's mother arrives to call the Emmy an idiot and ask if any of them have ever heard of murder. Uh, so Lewis goes and watches news coverage of Thelma's death. His boss interrupts him to ask him to please go do his job and leave this alone because they already ruled the death a suicide. So it's not a case anymore. So he better stop wasting taxpayer money wasting his time in investigating a closed case. Perfect. Uh, Lewis, of course, chases him down the hall to tell him that this is not the open and shut case everyone thinks it is. Her stomach contents proved she had eaten since the party, which is relevant, I'm sure. Um, and everyone at the party confirmed she didn't drink that much, even though she was legally drunk when she died. I feel like modern technology could explain that one away, but I'm going to go with it because we're like the ride already started. So I'm just going to wait till it finishes. Right, right. Fair enough. His boss tells him this is a very sensitive case. So he has to proceed with caution in his investigation from now on. No subpoenas, no pressure, no press. So Lewis goes to see the boyfriend slash not boyfriend. Roland. He shows Lewis that they lived in separate areas of the duplex and he tells him that no one ever treated or no. He tells him that he treated Thelma too well for her to love him. Okay. Which is a new description for friend zone that I hadn't heard before. Well, I can qualify that statement if they don't later. Uh well, okay. Because the way this movie goes, I'm going to disqualify it real quick. Right. (laughs) I I mean, I don't know how the movie goes, but um, what everyone who was close to her said was that she was not interested in men unless they were mean to her, um, which is real victim blamey. And so that is what he is getting at. Gotcha. Well, this guy's a real piece of shit. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, He talks about how he devoted 10 years to Thelma and watched her throw everything away time and time again. We flash back to when Thelma was alive. She's shooting a movie in her lace nighty as one does on Tuesday afternoons. Well, why Um, not? After she's done, she and What's-His-Face walk around backstage and he announces that they are going to dinner. And she says, oh, we are? Where am I taking you? I was like, oh, I like her. Yes, I love that. You know what got her killed is she had too much fucking attitude for the 30s. Um, She <laughs> did have a lot of attitude. Super outspoken. I know I didn't put that in my notes. Yeah. He laughs and says he's taking her out because he met with a studio and finalized a deal for her to be a dramatic actress instead of a comedy actress. And it comes with a whole new name. Thelma asks why she can't keep her current name and he mansplains that this is a whole new career for her and he's not going to allow people to come see her new movies um, and wait for her to make an entrance with a rubber chicken. Um, You can kindly fuck off, sir. Yeah. Thelma because... says she's not sure she's ready to be a dramatic actress, but Roland assures her that she is ready. Can you imagine... The blind side is about to come out and somebody looks at Sandra Bullock and was like, listen, you're going to have to change your name because of miscongeniality. Like, what an asshole. 
Yeah, no bitch. Um, we cut to six months later, and her film is previewed to the public, and it's a big old flop. Um, Roland assures Thelma that it's the studio's fault for showing the movie to the general public instead of other people who watch the movies. Uh, what he was trying to say is it would have been great with critics, um, which means that I would not have enjoyed it because there are only yeah. about six critical films that I've ever really liked. Yeah. He tells her that it's not so bad. So Thelma tells him where to go and how to get there. Um, back in the present, Roland tells Lewis that he went right out and found another script for them to do. But by then, Thelma's pesky mother had arrived in town and taken over Thelma's career and sold her back out to the demeaning bondage that is comedy acting. (laughs) So when Thelma closed the door on her dramatic acting, he pitches the, oh, he pitches the idea for the restaurant to her. Okay. Um, he's like, oh, all I need is your name. It's going to be a huge success. We're going to make so much money, blah, blah, blah. You just bring your rich friends in and they'll spend all their money on, on our food and blah, 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 blah. And this guy is just a mediocre white man trying to ride the coattails of a woman to the big leagues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thelma thankfully takes his idea and kind of makes it to her own. He had like a whole name picked out and all this stuff. And she was like, uh, no, no, <laughs> it's going to be called Thelma Tots. <laughs> yes. Um, then Roland drops the bomb that his ex-wife is going to be contributing capital to the project. Um, but so now he's just writing the coattails of two great women. Yes, exactly. Um, they are interrupted by a waiter delivering a rose from Mr. DeChico. Um, who is another agent in town. Roland tells the waiter to tell Mr. DeChico that th- Miss Todd is not interested. But Thelma gets up and says, oh, but Miss Todd is. And she saunters away. Yes, get it. I love her. So she goes and introduces herself and they flirt. Then they dance while smoke comes out of Roland's ears. In the present, Roland says it was like watching the inevitable train wreck. Lewis points out that DeChico married Thelma, but Roland says he left her home for days at a time alone and also beat her. So it's not like things were all roses. And who did she turn to to pick up the pieces? Roland, of course, who really loves himself and wants to be recognized for all the good things he did for her. Perfect. Um, This is when she moved into the duplex for convenience. And we flash back to the restaurant on opening night. She looks all fantastic and gorgeous. She meets a guy that she's staring at from a window before Roland pulls her away to do restaurant things. Um, His voiceover says he knew things would never be the same again. One night she knocks on his door asking for her spare key and they get into an argument about the restaurant and how it's failing. Thelma says that something fishy is going on and she's going to get to the bottom of it or die trying. Okay. Okay. Lewis perks up at this. Um, and asks Roland if he told that to the police. And this is when Roland excuses himself, saying that he's had a bit too much to drink and doesn't even remember saying that to Lewis. <laughs> and he has a sudden need to call his attorney. I ain't no snitch. So they say goodbye. Lewis goes to talk to Thelma's mother next, who laments having to bury both of her children. 
Uh, she calls Roland slime, and says she was so comfortable having her daughter live there because she was convinced any equipment he might have was purely decorative. <laughs> okay. Man, like, this script is so much better than so many you have told me. This script was awesome. Um, then she says she'll tell him the real story. So mom takes Thelma to the studio to demand a new deal after the flop, the movie flop. They agree, but say no more loan outs, no more dramatic side acting gigs, etc. He pitches the idea of pairing Thelma with Patsy Kelly as some kind of comedy duo. And then he quickly loses my vote when he decides to throw in a quote unquote potato clause. Oh, good. I'm glad they covered that because it's in my notes. Into her contract. Yeah, I'm so glad they covered it because I'm irrationally angry. Mm-hmm. Um, this means she must keep her weight within five pounds of her current weight either way, or she'll terminate her contract. Oh, they were more forgiving in the film than the actual clause because the clause said if she gains five pounds because oh. she had a weight problem is what they said. Ouch. Yeah. Oh, uh, so Thelma opens her mouth to say something, which I'm sure would not have been kind, but mom hops in with a, she'll absolutely sign that. And then we see mom giving Thelma diet pills, which in the thirties, I'm assuming was just straight methamphetamines. Yes. Um, Mom says the only thing missing was the perfect man, which Thelma kept scaring away by not being a doormat. Well, damn. I know. Now I figured out my problem. (laughs) Then she tells a story where Thelma was punished as a child over and over for asking their father to kiss her goodnight. So scratch this lady off my list as well. Yes. Um, She asked Lewis why she was given such a willful child who wanted to be loved. It's terrible. Yeah. She does follow that with another dig at Roland, though, so I'm torn. Okay. Okay. You know, she tells. I used to work with a woman who would say, you know, Paul, even a blind sow can find a truffle every once in a while. And I always wanted to remind her that they use their nose for that. But Aaron, even a blind sow can find a truffle every once in a while. I think the idiom you're looking for is even a broken clock is right twice a oh, day. Oh, absolutely. But <laughs> but I like to also default to anything with a pig, so. Yes, well. Um, so mom tells a story of a new man that Thelma was seeing, although she claims not to know who it is as she does not meddle in her daughter's business i call bullshit yeah and how one of thelma's friends came for a surprise visit and thelma blew her off to go out with this guy so she that must mean she learned her lesson about men lewis asks her why she thinks her daughter's death was a murder and she says that she never did even though she definitely said that She says she always believed it was a tragic suicide and will always believe it's a tragic suicide. Then she says she feels a a headache coming on and must retire to her bedroom immediately. So Lewis goes to meet with DeChico. He says they were in love at the beginning and we flash back to them in bed together. 
She says she wants to buy him everything he ever wanted and says all he has to do is be there to kiss her goodnight. But things went sour very quickly. As he tells it, she came home from a rap party one night drunk and um, was also high on whatever diet pill she was taking, I'm sure. Um, He had locked the bedroom door because he had to make business calls and he likes to make his business calls in private. And, you know, there's a whole room designed for that. It's called an office. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um so um because he's locked in the bedroom, Thelma totally flips out and starts banging on the door. He opens it and basically tells her to go away and then shuts it again in her face. So she starts breaking stuff and screaming, so he goes out and slaps her in the face a couple times. Then he calls her a stupid drunken bitch. Uh I don't like that. So, you know, regular uh, domestic disputes. No big deal. Present day, Jatiko says that it was the first time he hit her, but not the last. Um, but in his defense, he had made it clear that no woman pushes Pat Jatiko around. Well, now, now you have defended your balls, sir. Congratulations. I was real worried. I was real worried. It- Goodbye. Lewis says it sounds like he didn't keep up his end of the bargain to kiss her goodnight. Um, and he asks if Chico ever had an affair, and he says no. He asks if Thelma ever had an affair, and he says no. But he also wasn't particularly happy with the new guy in Thelma's life either. Unfortunately, he couldn't say anything about it because he introduced them. We see a flashback of them meeting, and it turns out the guy's name is well, he introduces himself as Lucifer, but it turns out to not be his name. Uh, but t- also, the tiny church kid inside me was like, run! Right? <laughs> okay, so additionally, when people introduce themselves with fake names, it always reminds me of um, one of my fraternity brothers. He and I wound up being very close. His birthday's the day before mine, so we always had a joint birthday weekend. Anyway, he was homeschooled. And coming into college, he thought that it would be a funny joke to tell everybody his name was Greg when it was actually Jacob. So that was that was the punch that was the punchline. LOL. <laughs> and then when I finally asked about it, he was like, Well, I just I just thought it'd be funny if everyone called me the wrong name. And I was like, Funny to whom? Like who yeah. who's where's the payout to this joke? Oh, God. Um, so she meets Lucy, Lucifer, Lucy, Lucy, Lucifer. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> um, and she says her, re- oh, she says her reputation of being attracted to Italian men must precede her. And he says, De Chico is Italian. I'm Sicilian. There's a difference. And I had the sudden urge to call Fran. <laughs> yes, yes. I was about to say, can we get her on here, like, real quick? Um, he pours them drinks. And she says she doesn't drink, but he, he says he'll be mortally wounded if she doesn't drink it. So she takes it anyway. Lewis stands up and says, quote, you delivered your own wife to Lucky Luciano. And I just put, oh, of course, this is a Bob story. (laughs) 
I didn't realize that, but here we are. So Lewis goes to see Patsy Kelly, and we flash back to when they met. They run into Gloria Swanson, who calls Thelma stupid. Thelma, of course, tells her off in a delightful way, and after that, she and Patsy were the best of friends. Patsy says that she watched Thelma take pills and drink too much champagne, which she hated. We see Patsy covering a black eye for Thelma. Um, Next, oh, and it just kind of like goes into some of their little hijinks as like co-stars. Okay. Next, Lewis goes to talk to Jewel, who is Roland's ex-wife. She says she seems in her mid-Atlantic, she seems to be the only one that has escaped unscathed. And that's because she knows that love walks, but money talks. Perfect. <laughs> in fact, she can said, you can you deliver the rest of this episode in that mid-Atlantic that you just did? Probably not. It was, I wish. It was, it was spot, spot on. Yeah. <laughs> not that I can do it at all. So, like. I can if I try really hard, but I wasn't trying that I'm really tired. <laughs> um, she says that Thelma was stupid because she kept following her heart. Flashback to Thelma and Jewel having an argument as she's headed back out again to lay- hang out with Lucky Lucifer, whatever his name is. Jewel tells her that she doesn't care if Thelma messes with her husband, but if she messes with Jewel's money, she won't live long enough to regret it. Perfect. I don't know why she's Irish, but... <laughs> You know, Typhoid Mary just popped into this storyline real quick. It's okay. And then she tells the uh, she tells Lewis that's just a figure of speech, of course. So Lewis goes to see one of Lucky's henchmen at Alcatraz. Flashback to Lucky taking Thelma to see her restaurant. Yeah, and they have a little rendezvous on the beach. Then one night they go, they survive a drive-by shooting and he tells her that he loves her and that like we survived afterglow that you get. You know? Okay. Yeah. Um, he finally goes with her into the restaurant and decides it will be perfect for his casino. Um, she tells him no under no circumstances and she is pissed. She tells him to get out. He tells her to think about it and call him, but she never calls. Unfortunately, according to Alcatraz, the boss doesn't take too kindly to being ignored. So they show up in her dressing room and Lucky has Alcatraz lock them into the dressing room. He lays out his plan to own Hollywood. And he tells her it would be a nice way for her to repay him for the speedy divorce that she got. And then he asks if she'll reconsider and she spits in his face. That's, I mean, I'm down with this, actually. Yeah. This pisses him off. Um, Thelma then made an appointment with the district attorney, which Lucky finds out about, but she never keeps the appointment. Um, This seems to be all the information Lewis needs, but I'm still confused, which is probably why I'm not an investigator. (laughs) Um, He takes us back through the last 36 hours of Thelma's life. She's at a party and Jachiko comes in with a date. She yells at him for setting her up with Lucky because, like, that's a really shit thing to do. Um, He drags her off to talk, and then she comes back looking shaken, according to witnesses. The Chico and his date leave, but Thelma stays. Okay. Around 1.30, she asks the waiter... A waiter? (laughs) Because they're actors. 
<laughs> she asks a waiter to call Roland and tell him to wait up to let her in the house, but he tells her there's someone there to see her. It's Vinny's. Who? It's Vinny's. We are crushing it today. Um, it's Vinny, one of Lucky's guys. She has her chauffeur drive her to the restaurant and then tells him to get the fuck out. She's like, go take my car home and leave. Okay. She knows what's up. Right. Um, Lucky's outside and tells her they're going for a drive. The next day, she calls someone named Wallace Ford to tell her that she'll be late to her party later that night, but the call gets disconnected and she never shows up to the party. Okay. Another couple happened to witness Thelma and Lucky fighting in a car and asked them for direction because they were A, lost, and B, the bravest people on earth. <laughs> right? <laughs> Excuse what? me. Excuse me. Um, when you're finished, can you, I just, should I have taken a left on the 10? So it's really funny. So he, the guy interrupts them and uh, Thelma gives him directions and then he gets back in his car and he's like sitting behind the wheel and he's like, looks at his wife. He goes, that was Thelma Todd. (laughs) 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 Fucking random. Um, At some point, oh, this is the last time anyone sees her alive. And at some point, um, after that, Lewis believes Lucky drove her home, and as she headed inside, one of his um, mob guys uh, killed her. No offense, but, like, what a long walk for not very much in the end here. Right. Um, but it's not over. That's why. Lewis's boss tells him he's done a fine job, and his boss says he should take a day off because he's going to take the case to the to the uh, grand jury and Lewis is going to be a star witness and you don't have to be a genius to see that's never going to happen. Um, Lewis voiceovers at about 200 miles from San Francisco. He had a car accident due to faulty brakes. And by the time he regained consciousness, the hearing was over and his file on Thelma had disappeared. The grand jury handed down a verdict of accidental death. And as it turns out, his boss was the head of one of the most corrupt administrations in history and later took his own life. Um, Then he's like, you see him like watching old footage of Thelma and he apologizes to her for failing her. And that is the end. That was a ride and a half. Great movie. If you don't have Lifetime's movie app, it's worth like the, even if you just do the free trial just to watch this movie, it's worth it. Duly noted. Well, you have it for free. <laughs> right, I have. Well, not for free. We pay for it right. out of our account. <laughs> oh, that's right. We do. I think I I think I think also pay for it individually, so I'll cancel that. Saving me $6. Yeah. Or however All much it right. costs. I am, like, really excited to hear about the real story because I'm sure Lifetime left things out, and I had never heard of this. Yeah, so I was surprised that I hadn't heard of it. And, you know, reading about her... this has, like, all the components of, like, an amazing... Right. ...true story. I can't believe. So I think what happened is, A, it got covered up very quickly, but then also um, celebrities like Marilyn Monroe kind of overshadowed this situation. But you know what? Reading about it all... 
gave me real um Evelyn Hugo vibes. Yes, totally. Um, and anybody who's not read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, please, please, please go pick it up. Drop everything you're doing and go read it right now. It's one of the best, actually, because our friend Lydia just read it. And I told her when she got it, I said, that's one of the best books I've ever read yes. in my life. Yeah, it's 100%. So um, in fact, I tried to write a review of it um, on my blog. And I just like, I couldn't even do it justice. No, it's it was... It's one of those books that I'm sad that I'll never get to experience reading that for the first time ever again. Right? Um, okay, so in a completely different direction, because that was so beautiful, <laughs> here is um, the true story of Thelma Todd. Um, and I used um, Wikipedia, obviously. Um, there was some really good information in the Chicago Tribune and then our good friends at all that's interesting.com. Man, I could waste hours of my life on that website. They come in clutch. They do like appropriately and aptly titled for sure. All that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm always there. Um, so Thelma Alice Todd was born July 29th, 1906 in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Her father, John, was an upholsterer from Ireland, but um, mm -hmm. there were also some reports that he was kind of like a local politician um, as she got later in her teenage years and that he was uh, incredibly controlling, if not mm -hmm. abusive. And her mother was an immigrant from Canada and like, I'm sure in 1906 that was a fair trade, but like evaluating from 2020, like lady, you really downgraded. I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so um, Thelma was the youngest of two and she was just this like young, very smart, full of life, really quippy kind of girl. Um, she was known for her sass, but she was also known for her like biting wit. She was mm -hmm. very quick witted and never let anybody get a word in edgewise. Like she could come back with the best of them, which nice. in 1906 was um, less than appealing for a woman who's supposed to be just demure and like ready to be barefoot and pregnant, you know, exactly. Um, but um, she, because she was so intelligent um, she was also very like incredibly charming. She knew how to charm anybody. Um, and mm -hmm. people just hung on her every word. And so what she realized was she had a knack and a love for learning. So she had a knack for teaching. So she actually mm -hmm. dreamed of being a teacher. And in 1923 enrolled in the Lowell normal school, which is now the university of Massachusetts Lowell. Um, now, normal schools, if you're not familiar, is a term um, that was a designated teacher's college. So, like, I went mm -hmm. to Louisiana, I went to Northwestern State University, but when it was founded, it was Louisiana Normal School, and it only was a school of education. Um, so, <coughs> because she was so beautiful and so charming, um, while she was still in high school, Thelma's mother coerced, urged, forced, however you want to put it, 
Thelma into doing um, beauty pageants. Thelma was not interested. She really wanted to focus on academics and be known um, kind of for her brain over her beauty. And like I said, like she really wanted to be a teacher, not even like be a teacher until she got married. Her dream was to be a teacher. Right. Um, But. Well, if you look at some old rules for teachers from back in that time. Uh Uh-huh. You had to really want that job. Right. Yikes. Um, so, um, her mom just kept pushing her into these, these pageants until, um, she went on to win the title of Miss Massachusetts in 1925. Okay. And because of the exposure she received from being Miss Massachusetts, um, she was seen by a Hollywood talent scout and was um, offered a spot in the Paramount School for Acting. So this was in the early, like, golden age of Hollywood when actresses belonged to a studio rather than Mm -hmm. just having an agent as they do now. Right. Um, And so Paramount scooped her up basically as soon as they saw her. Um, Yeah, so in the movie, when when they're talking to Patsy Kelly... um, Patsy Kelly's like showing her around the studio grounds and whatever. And she asks her, how long have you been in LA? And she says four days. Yeah. So things went very quickly for her after being discovered. Um, so she, she actually had like never even dreamed of being an actress. She, you know, she was two years into her teaching degree. She was ready to go and like change lives and mold minds. But her mother, convinced coerced urged forced whatever you want to say because her mother was very very controlling to pursue acting yes um her the stories of her mother give me some real patsy ramsey vibes if if you know what i'm saying i do (laughs) so um during the silent film era Todd appeared in numerous supporting roles um, that really showed off her beauty, but didn't give her a chance to act. Um, So she basically was just like put on screen to smile and like throw her hair and her eyelashes because she was beautiful. I don't know if you've seen pictures of her, but she was. I haven't seen a real picture of her. A real picture. A picture of, of the, the real... real yeah, she was gorgeous. Um, she was known as... And I'm sure I wrote this somewhere else. But she was known as the ice cream blonde of Hollywood. Um, she just had this like beautiful blonde hair. Um, people also called her Hot Toddy because she was Thelma Todd. Wow. Yeah. She was gorgeous. Yes. Um, so basically Paramount just paid her to stand on screen and look pretty. Um, she didn't have a chance to act, but then talkies came out and she was finally given the opportunity to kind of expand her roles. Um, when producer Hal Roach signed her to appear with such comedy stars as Harry Langdon, Charlie Chase and Laurel and Hardy, who were all pretty big at the time. Um, so Hal Roach, who is kind of credited with giving her 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 big film break, um, was abusive as directors go. He was very critical of her appearance and he invented what he called the potato claws. If um, he said that Thelma was on the edge of overweight 
which like, again, you can look at her pictures and she was not. Um, but, um, so if she gained more than five pounds, which was roughly the weight of a sack of potatoes, then she would be released from her contract. Thank you. I was going to ask you if you knew where potato, was it like, if you eat a potato that's very starchy, you might go overweight. (laughs) Like I, okay. Yeah. Roughly the weight of a bag of potatoes. I'm Uh, trying to lose weight and I'm like, yeah, let me give you a diet tip by the way. I found this out last week and I didn't find this out, but I found out if I consistently do it, I consistently terrify myself. Oh, great. Okay. (laughs) Before you go to a restaurant, you should look at their nutritional menu and see how many calories are in those, like what you're eating. Yes. Because then it's so much easier to order a salad. Right. Um, so let's see. Anyway, sorry. Oh no, you're fine. So in response to this, her, hovering mother like her mom was the definition of helicopter mama so her mama um started giving her diet pills so that she would stay underneath that weight um which um Thelma Todd went on to often mix with alcohol um and became a, a functional alcoholic for for a while in fact Um, she continued to abuse alcohol for much of her professional life and all throughout her first marriage. But whenever she divorced her first husband, who I'll come back to in a little bit, um, she eventually swore off drinking altogether. Um, and keep that in mind because it comes back. Great. In 1931, Hal Roach cast Todd in her own series of like slapstick comedy shorts, which were each Mm -hmm. between 17 and 27 minutes. Um, and he wanted to create a female version of Laurel and Hardy, who were these slapstick comedians that played off of each other really well. So, um, he teamed her first with Zazu Pitts and they did 17 shorts together. Um, but she left in 1933. Pitts did. Um, she just didn't feel like that was the niche for her. At which point Patsy Kelly came in and she, uh, Patsy Kelly and Thelma Todd appeared in 21 shorts together. Um, and in these shorts, um, Roach often cast Thelma as this like level headed working girl who would have all sorts of like white people in infomercial kind of problems at work. Sure. Like mm-hmm. you, I can't hold all this Tupperware. So it falls out of the cabinet, you know, that kind of bullshit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Patsy Kelly was the like super ditzy sidekick. And, um, and Thelma would always be really embarrassed of Patsy. And, and that was kind of their thing. So they kind of just played the same short in it's like Hallmark Christmas movies. It's the same mm-hmm. tired thing, just in different costumes. They have a, there's a formula. There, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're both freaking gorgeous, so. Oh, absolutely. Um, So in 1931, Thelma Todd starred in Corsair, which was a film directed by Roland West. Um, And this was the start of this on-again, off-again, both um, professional and romantic relationship between Roland West and she. Interesting. Also, here's a picture of her with the Marx Brothers. Oh, she worked a lot with the Marx Brothers. Yes. And also now I'm just going to close it because I'm not going to be able to stop. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> so she was known to work with the I Marx Brothers. I love old tiny Hollywood. Oh, absolutely. And she was the same kind of funny as the Marx Brothers, which was um, interesting in its own right, because women didn't play that kind of comedy very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and... So, um, and I think it probably has to do with the fact that that's a very smart kind of comedy that slapstick style is and women weren't revered as intelligent, but like she was undeniably very intelligent, you know? Um, it always makes me laugh because people write off slapstick as like easy laughs and it, I mean, it's easy laughs, but it's not easy acting. No, because physical comedy is so difficult. And you look fucking stupid. Uh huh. Um, (laughs) Speaking of, like, if you want a good comedy experience while Sarah and I were propped on the couch not dying of COVID, because there was a time where we both really thought we were going to die, so we propped ourselves up together on the couch and watched each other not die. That was our active goal. Um, but Aww. through that, we watched um, Laugh Out Loud Australia, which is hosted by Rebel Wilson, and it's a bunch of comedians locked in a room, and they're not allowed to laugh at each other. Last one laughing, that's what it's called. It's LOL, but last one laughing. The last one to laugh gets this huge payout, like $100,000 or something. But it's just a bunch of desperate comedians trying to make each other laugh. And as it goes on, it gets more and more surreal and, like, bizarre, but I highly recommend it, so. That sounds delightful, actually. It's on Amazon Prime. Anyway, so back to poor Thelma. Um, So after her appearance in Corsair and working with Roland West, um, she then started to like really build this following. She's highly regarded as this like super capable film comedian. um, And Hal Roach began to loan her out to other studios. So she played opposite of Wheeler and Woolsey, of Buster Keaton, of Joe E. Brown, and even the Marx Brothers. Um, She also appeared successfully in dramatic films, such as um, the 1931 film version of the Maltese Falcon. Um, She played um, the widow of the, um, like she played this treacherous widow and it was the first time really people saw her range as an Mm -hmm. actress. Um, So during her career, she appeared in around 120 feature films and shorts combined. Okay. So she was working. Um, In August of 1934, she opened a a pretty successful cafe called Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe. Um, It was on the Pacific Coast Highway. It was in the coastal neighborhood of Pacific Palisades. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was just this kind of hot spot uh, for this really, (coughs) sorry, diverse clientele. Um, it was this like posh kind of restaurant and it was known for being this popular hang of the Hollywood mm-hmm. glitterati and politicians and even gangsters. It was kind of just this sure. melting pot of people with money. Mm-hmm. Um, so while owning this restaurant and everything else, she continued appearing in shorts through 1935 and she was featured in the full length Laurel and Hardy comedy, the Bohemian girl. Um, but this would be her last film. Um, because she died after she died after completing sh- the shooting of her scenes, but before the film was released. And so Hal Roach went on to reshoot all of her scenes and delete all of her dialogue. So they just wrote her character out after she died. Um, mm-hmm. Except, so all that remains of her presence in this particular film is one musical number that they c- didn't have time to cut out or reshoot. 
And I just find that so terribly sad. Like her last work and nobody even got to see anything from it, you know? Um, so on the morning of Monday, December 16th, I wrote 2935. So y'all, she was 1000 and, um, 29 years old at the time of her death. Right. Um, Thelma Todd's maid, Mae Whitehead, discovered Thelma in her car inside the garage of her business partner, Roland West. Um, And these are kind of the details that get a little sketchy, um, mostly because, like I said, there are some um, reports that say that she and Roland shared one side of the duplex while the ex-wife shared the other side, and others say that Mm -hmm. she um, was... Or that Roland and she each had one half of the duplex and the ex-wife lived in another house um, because one of, or a couple of the reports even say that she was found in her car inside of the ex-wife's garage. And so this is, like I said, where we have a real falling out or falling apart rather. But, um, so, um, Whitehead told the detectives when they arrived, she was slumped in the front seat of her car and she was just bent over her head to the left. And then, um, so the death was quickly determined to have been caused by carbon monoxide poisoning. Like I'm not, you, that was not exaggerated for the film. They basically declared that in the garage and they're like, all right, case closed guys. Snuck off early. Go to happy hour. Right. Exactly. So, um, Whitehead, however, reported to several, like both to detectives and to like news outlets that, um, there was blood around Thelma's nose and, um, there were reports that Thelma had been found with a broken nose with bruises around her throat and two cracked ribs, which Mm -hmm. is just one hell of a carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, for real. So strange circumstances surrounded her death obviously and finally enough concern was raised that officials started to dig deeper into the lives of Todd's loved ones and associates um, some of whom may have had good motive to want America's favorite ice cream blonde gone Um, so according to the Los Angeles Time article that was published the day after her death investigators said they had many reasons to raise suspicions about her death and the probability that Thelma had not completed suicide Mm -hmm. quote. And then this quote is from, I believe the Chicago Tribune article that I read quote, the officers had probable reason for death by foul means within the past two months, men had been arrested in New York in connection with extortion notes and telephone calls received by Miss Todd demanding $10,000 under penalty of death. But there were no signs of violence at the scene of her death. So leading up to this, she'd already been receiving death threats. Um, and throughout the like three months before she died, several people had threatened to kill her. So like, that's always great. Yeah. I, so like, that was the running theme is like everyone that Marsden talked to ended their story with like, oh, by the way, like I totally threatened to kill her. Right. That was like a real thing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, so one person of note was Thelma's, or like the first big person of note was Thelma's business partner and sometimes lover said the articles, like all articles said this, um, Roland West. So West had initially been this really well-received director in Hollywood. Um, even when Thelma worked with him, he was still this pretty like, you know, hot director to work with at the time, but his ship sailed very quickly and his career took this like sharp downward turn very early on. Um, and so since his film career was failing, he, um, decided to undertake this business venture with Thelma Todd and open Thelma Todd sidewalk cafe together. Um, And though it was this very popular spot with the Hollywood elite, it was not necessarily a lucrative endeavor, endeavor, endeavor. I'm apparently saying the Lord's prayer. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Um, To complicate things further, West and Todd lived in this duplex above the restaurant. And um, then either (laughs) directly, so their duplex was above the restaurant, like kind of friend style. Um, Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, somewhere up the path or in their duplex or around, or maybe like the burrow style from Harry Potter. There's like a crooked house. That's the extension of the ex-wife's house. I don't know. Somewhere there's an ex-wife's house. (laughs) Uh, in that vicinity right is where she lives less than a block away according to one report um so very very close was the house of jewel carmen who um so according to the book hot toddy on which this movie was based the three Mm -hmm. all shared the duplex so that's kind of the official accepted story Um, but it was written many years later, so it's not, it's, Mm -hmm. they read primary sources, but it is not a primary source, right? Um, so anyway, to, you know, to complicate things even further, Jewel Carmen, the ex-wife, lived very close to the restaurant and was also a co-owner of the restaurant with Thelma and Roland. Um, and Jewel Carmen never openly objected to, like, the relationship between Roland and Thelma, but she did reportedly threaten Thelma when the restaurant began to lose money. Um, and some sources, like I mentioned earlier, some sources that I read said that Thelma was in Carmen's garage, but like that one seems the most far fetched to me. In fact, I think the Wikipedia article even says that she was in Carmen's garage, not in Roland's garage. Um, Mm -hmm. and then there was a news article that came out the day of her death where Roland West said that the only reason he can imagine that she was in the garage was because he'd locked her out because they'd had an argument. Um, so there's again, no way to know, obviously, cause this is an unsolved case. Um, obviously. Yes. So, I mean, it's solved, but unsolved. Right. Um, so Thelma was also linked to the infamous mobster, Lucky Luciano um, or Lucy Lucifer as some may, <laughs> some, some who are very close to him have been known to call him. True. <laughs> Though Thelma had sworn off booze after her divorce. I mentioned that earlier, the night that she met Lucky Luciano at the coconut grove, which was a very like hopping nightclub of the time period. Um, he insisted <laughs> that she have a glass of champagne 
And she said, you know, no, thank you. I don't drink anymore. I don't like the way it makes me feel like all the, all the things you say when you are giving up alcohol. Um, sure. And he did just the most fucking romantic thing. Okay. So Aaron, I'm going to paint this scene for you. You're at a nightclub. This beautiful man comes over. He's got a wad of cash and he says, have a John Ham with money. Sure, we'll go with this. It's John Hamm, and he says, have a drink with me. And you say, I mean, I would love to, but I, I gave up alcohol. You know, it's not good for me. And so he takes his hand, and he rubs it down your cheek. Then he grabs your neck, forces your mouth open, and shoves an entire bottle of Dom Perignon down your throat. Oh, that went all re- real fast. <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to need to reimagine that as... <laughs> someone else because in all the scenarios where I imagine John hands hands around my throat that's not <laughs> one of them well that's how Lucy Lucifer decided to introduce himself to our poor Thelma Todd yeah what a dick um so this started this kind of um explosive relationship between the two um it was reported that their relationship was a very abusive one he was reported right i know shocker um it was reported that he beat her and that he um got her hooked on stronger amphetamines than the diet pills that her mother had gotten her hooked on um and that she returned to that alcoholic kind of haze that she'd been in for a very long time um but um Lucy had not just pursued Thelma because she was one of the most like beautiful and successful women in Hollywood. He saw this as a good like business investment, which is that's how I know it's true love. When you think of it as a business investment, Um, that's hot, Mm -hmm. right? Can you, can you imagine if John Hamm finally he's done with the bottle of Dom Pignon and he just, Dom Pignon, that's your, the, your new beverage. It's your new favorite. Um, and he just leans in real close and he's like, I'm going to need you to sign and notarize this paper, please. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, if John Hamm whispered that in my ear, I would fucking do it. <laughs> it's an NDA and you're like, done, done. John Hamm could read the phone book to me and I'd be so turned on I wouldn't be able to handle myself. <laughs> Mike Johnson 4533 <laughs> You are not John Hamm. I just pictured what it would be like. Um so mm-hmm. anyway, so he saw this as like a business arrangement um that he began pressuring Thelma Todd to let him open an illegal casino in her restaurant. Um, and patrons of the, you do right, obviously. And he wasn't even quiet about it. And so there was obviously a Paul and Aaron at the restaurant this day because they were straight up eavesdropping on this conversation between Thelma Todd and Lucy Luciano, um, lucky Luciano. I mean, um, where they're like listening and like taking notes. And so they reported that she said, quote, I'll allow illegal gambling in my restaurant over my dead body. And so Luciano's response was, of course, well, that can be arranged. That can be arranged. God, so unoriginal. Right. 
Um, so another person with a possible motive was Pat um, DeChico, Thelma's ex-husband, who was reportedly humiliated from the divorce and vowed revenge. So on Saturday, December 14th, which was the day before she died, Thelma Todd had gone to the Trocadero, which was a popular restaurant in Hollywood, to attend a party. And mm-hmm. at this party, she had this brief, um, pretty awful run-in with her ex-husband. Her friend said that after the exchange, though, she was in good spirits and nothing suggested that she was um, in danger or contemplating suicide. Like, nothing would suggest that anything was off about that night. Um, sure. Okay. And then she was driven home in the early hours of December 15th by her chauffeur. Um, so... Some people have noted suspicions even against Thelma's mother. She was Thelma's sole heir and stood to inherit a lot of money should Thelma die before she did. Um, mm-hmm. And shortly before Thelma's death, her mother had like very happily announced to all of her friends that she would soon be building a big mansion. But where she was going to get the money to fund this endeavor was unclear. Gotcha. So, of course, this is probably the thinnest of all the perceived motives, but it is worth considering nonetheless because mom was very controlling and very into that part of um, Thelma's life. Sure. Okay. Um, So the detectives in LAPD eventually concluded after considering all this that Thelma's death was accidental, the result of her either warming up the car to drive or using the heater to keep herself warm. Um, and that is when the newspaper article that quoted Roland West saying that he'd locked her out the night before um, came into play kind of in his defense that she was just trying to stay warm in the garage. And like, I've, I mean, it's December. I know that LA is like not getting snow, but I just was always under the assumption that it's just always 76 and beautiful there. Like it's not typically cold enough to need like to keep yourself warm inside. Okay. I mean, maybe you're uncomfortable and maybe when you're drunk and uncomfortable, you're like, well, if I do this dumb thing that I don't think is dumb because I'm wasted, Maybe. I'll stay, I'll be warmer and I won't be so unhappy, but still. Uh. Right. Um, it, ju- it just seems like. Not buying it. It just seems like a long walk as you put it. it. As I said. Um, so um, of odd note is, of course, the coroner's report, which stated that there were, quote, no marks of violence anywhere upon or within the body uh, with only a, quote, superficial contusion on the lower lip. But informal reports of from those who were close to the situation, um, including the maid, May Whitehead, mentioned uh, the broken nose, the broken ribs, and bruising around the neck, all of which probably should have been noted in a coroner's report. Right, yes, definitely. <clears throat> so eventually a grand jury probe was held to determine whether her death was a murder or not. And after four weeks of testimony, the inquiry Inquiry was closed with no evidence of murder being brought forward. The case was officially closed with the death being listed as, quote, accidental with possible suicide tendencies. Authorities were not able to find any indication of suicide, no suicide note, um, 
No one ever reported any suicidal ideations, which of course does not mean that it's impossible, but um, Mm -hmm. also means that it is worth noting that there was no trail that should point in the direction of suicide either. Oh, your neighbor wanted a shot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Thelma's body was. Let me like give you a like a little like insight into that guy was not even in this complex when he just when that. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, he was out on the main road. I'm so sorry about his dick. Like it must, <laughs> it must be an any not an Audi, and he's like real mad about it. <laughs> oh God, an any. <laughs> So, um, Thelma's body was cremated after her, um, after her death and, um, and then after her mother's death in 1969, her remains were placed in her mother's casket and they were buried in her hometown of Lawrence, Massachusetts. So rumors and conspiracies have surrounded Thelma's death since the beginning with nothing officially being solved even today. Um, because of the ruling of possible suicide, this case will probably never be reopened, despite dis- despite the odd events surrounding it. Despite, despite everything surrounding it, there was no conclusion. Questions will always remain. Was it a mob hit? And if so, was the coroner paid off? It's not out of the realm of possibility, obviously. Um, I also... And maybe it's just because of my love of film noir, but I feel like that was a much more common thing in the thirties. Probably. I feel like it was much harder to trace a money exchange, you know? Um, but, um, what, or was this the work of some jilted ex wife whose investment was failing? Was this the work of a angry ex husband, what you know there are just so many directions that are very plausible that this could have gone in um mm-hmm. or was this even a follow up to those initial exorp- is exor- extortion attempts that we you know that i mentioned at the very top of this um good job that's all folks so unfortunately the world may never know that is so sad. So, but it was really good. It was really good. It was good. a good story. I love. Hold on. Okay, that was my hold music. Um, I love these old cases. I like to work like work a case that has some distance. Yeah, because it's not like so fresh that you feel like an asshole right exactly um but also Also because of this movie even though every other thing is plausible i believe the mob guy did it uh, that is what i believe too and that is what the most evidence kind of supports what's interesting like maybe i'll do a page maybe i'll do a patreon at some point about the guy that was the da at the time because that story seemed really oh, interesting. Oh, that yeah. That was a story, like, at the very end, when Marston, like, drops, he's like, oh, by the way, he was the most corrupt, like, uh, person and, you know, ever in L.A. And I'm like, I, you're leaving me hanging here, because, like, what? Right? <laughs> um, so, I did do some research, and um, <coughs> this was released on NBC first. 
And then it was um, released as a double feature with um, with the Jane Mansfield story, which also starred Lonnie Anderson and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So what a good night. No. Yes. What is that movie called? The Jane Mansfield story. I'm tracking that shit down. I'm just going to like look up old movies about Hollywood stars. Yeah. And that'll be our like December. Absolutely. I'm so down. If I can find it, it will be. Perfect. Oh, speaking of our December, um, we would like to just give y'all a heads up. So you're not missing us. Um, next week with it being Thanksgiving, we are going to take the week off and, enjoy the time with our families or enjoy as much silence as possible before we have to deal with our families, whichever the case may be. Enjoy the time we spend quarantining from our families. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I do encourage you if you are traveling these holidays, um, keep your health at the forefront of your thoughts and don't let your family or anybody around you make you feel guilty for putting your health first. For reals. That shit's uncalled for. Yes. Unacceptable. If if you feel unsafe going to see your family. Then don't. Then don't. You are worth more to all of us alive than dead. Um, as, as survivors of coronavirus. Like that shit is awful. Nobody wants that. It was horrible and actually it's very interesting having come out the other side and knowing how terrified I was and I didn't even have to go to the hospital like the more I see people talk about their family that have had to go to the hospital like it breaks my heart because I cannot even imagine how fucking terrified they are oh absolutely well and I don't know if you've experienced this but I have actually had to deal with a fair amount of survivor's guilt. Yeah. Um, because like while we were all sick, um, one of Sarah's mother's coworkers lost his son who was 19 and healthy and a baseball player to COVID-19. And the fact that I, I'm not in the like I am not the picture of health and came out on the other side I just it was very hard for me to deal with that you know like especially it was going on at the same time and every time I hear a case afterward especially of like very healthy people I'm just like this is this is terrible for so many people it, it hit me the worst there is a family here in San Antonio and I'll have to look up their name because I don't know off the top of my head but they took their daughter, they're, they're um, black, they're people of color. They took their daughter, she was sick, they took her to the doctor and he, like, she has, she had COVID. And the doctor was like, oh, well, it doesn't affect kids that much. Just, like, take her home and she'll be fine. Unless the 24 hours later she was dead. My God. Oh my God. She was lit. She was like four or five years old. She was little. She was a baby. And that 
fucking broke me in half. I was like, why, why on earth would you take someone so small and leave my ass here? Like, come on. Right. And so all that to say, guys, 2020 is a shit show. I know we want the holidays to be some semblance of normalcy, but not at the risk of your own health and don't let anybody make you feel bad. In fact, if somebody tries to make you feel bad or guilty, they can email us at lifetime sentence podcast at gmail.com. And I will tell them very kindly to fuck off. Yeah. We'll make them feel real bad and guilty. So. <laughs> we, we, we're from the South. Aaron was raised Baptist. I am Baptist. We are good at a guilt trip. <laughs> we, Oh God. Yes. I'm so good at it. I can do it in my sleep. But yeah, like, so first of all, we'll be back on December 3rd. That'll be our next episode. And then let's try to do a couple of these old Hollywood ones. And let's close out the year with some Christmas movies. Absolutely. Like maybe two Christmas movies to close out the year. I mean, we need something. I need a break from like awful. And if I have counted correctly, Aaron. Our first episode of the new year will be our hundredth episode. No. Yes. No, that's amazing. We right. Need to start finding a movie. You now. have you have dealt with me on purpose for a hundred weeks. Please, <laughs> I dealt with you for longer than that. <laughs> that's so. that's true. It's true. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to count because I... Okay. Mm-hmm. So this will be 95. And then we won't... And then it'll be 96, 97, 98. Is it the second one of the new year? No, it's the last one of It's the last one of this... We're going to... We're going to tell 2022... Unless, unless we skip Christmas. We'll discuss that because yes. we we honestly, guys, we are doing this work in front of all of you. But in any case, yeah. we're coming up on our Sorry. 100th episode. And some of you have been with us since the very beginning. And like y'all are the real heroes here because <laughs> we heard us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Man, that's wild also i'm very excited and i'm gonna find like a badass movie for us to do yes it's gonna be so fun um in fact um we're we're going to make a biopic about our lives up until the moment we met that's where it's going to end and then we're going to cover that movie but it's only going to be shot in selfie mode on our cell phones and told through tiktok so you're gonna have to scroll through hundreds of tiktoks to see it that movie sounds terrible (laughs) no we will not be doing that okay fine that's for patreon only (laughs) (laughs) speaking of patreon please join us over at patreon.com slash lifetime sentence for um more goodies we um like a shit ton of episodes we have a lot of episodes in there now we absolutely do like if you for some reason find yourself wanting to continue listening to us even after we're out of your ear holes like go sign up for our patreon there's like i don't know a lot there are a ton of episodes 
Um, did a big little lies. What else did we do? Unsolved mysteries. Um, then we did like I, old I, I have my series stories. of badass women. Badass women. We have a ton of cults in there. Oh, I covered the the Royal House of Windsor. Just oh, so much. You covered around this time last year the trial of Twas the Night Before Christmas. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> that was such a good mm-hmm. one. Um, and so while we're get plugging our socials, I think we need to give a super shout out to uh, Daniela on Instagram who I can only imagine heard our plight that our Instagram was sad, according to that asshole who emailed us last week. And she liked every photo on our Instagram. And um, that is the energy that I'm here (laughs) for. That is the energy we are here for. So, uh, Daniela, shout out. You are special in our hearts. And if you would also like to like all 100 of our photos... You can find us on Instagram at Lifetime Sentence. You can find us on Facebook. Oh, do what? No, I have nothing to add here. I'm stupid. I don't. 139. That's how many photos we have. What? I think my Instagram is broken. Well, that's not fun. Oh my god, no, they just moved the button and I'm Oh stupid. yeah, the likes are up at the top now. Um Y'all. So you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifetime sentence. You can find episode show notes and um merch linked at lifetime sentence.com. And again, shoot us an email at lifetime sentence podcast at gmail.com. At oh, yeah. Thank you. Life sentence but pod. Also, like, no one's on Twitter anymore except the Republicans. So, right. Um, and you, Chrissy Teigen, but she owns Twitter, I think. So, you can also find us on parlor.com. At- <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, man. No. No. Only Clans uh-uh. was my no. favorite thing I'd ever seen. And y'all Kata. Only Clans and y'all Kata. <laughs> which, one, which one's the one that I liked? I can't even remember. Oh, you liked. Um, let me find that list because I'll remember it when I see it. Cryspace. Cryspace. <laughs> um, plenty I of Fash was also pretty good. Too. Huh? Plenty of fash. Plenty of fash. <laughs> oh, we will not be. We will not <laughs> be on parlor ever, ever. Like I said last if week, someone I- makes a page and you're like, "Oh my god, Lifetime Sentence is on parlor." Uh, no, we're not. You need to tell us because that's fake. Oh my God, if somebody tried to troll people with a fake account for, I wouldn't even shut it down. I would be so excited. I would be so Can you excited. Imagine they're going to listen to one episode and be like, socialism. <laughs> oh, that's that fucking Antifa podcast. <laughs> what was, what was that tweet I showed y'all? <laughs> Boobs, beer, Trump guns. Boobs, beer, guns. It was boobs, 
guns, Trump. <laughs> MAGA. Something. Oh, MAGA. I don't know. It was bad. God, it was the funniest was exchange funny, on though. Twitter ever. <laughs> All right. Well, we are devolving into just inside jokes. It's it's literally visual gags that you can't see. So on that note. so tired. Please don't forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. And eat lots of stuffing because I'm gluten-free, so someone needs to enjoy it. Oh, I will. Thank you. I volunteer as tribute. Perfect. All right. Bye. See you guys after Thanksgiving. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.